0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Amen. Let's pray together. Loving Father, we thank you for your amazing love, God. We thank you that... There is a height and a depth and a width and a breadth that we can only comprehend by your Spirit. That we can only just begin to scratch the surface of, to plumb the depths of, God. Thank you that your love for us is so lasting. Thank you that that it is eternal. Thank you that it is unconditional, God. Thank you that it transforms us and changes us thank you that it heals us and restores us that it's reconciled us to you god we thank you for your amazing love thank you that we are in your hands and nothing can snatch us out of your hands god thank you for your amazing love And God, I pray that as we come to hear your word right now, Lord, that we would hear the words of a a loving father speaking to us, encouraging us, Lord. I pray that you'd be with my mouth and that you'd be with the ears of everyone who could hear my voice, God, that they would hear you speak, that your church would be built up and encouraged and strengthened, Lord do all of this for your glory we're desperate for you lord we need you so badly to speak to us about who we are and about who you are and so god i pray that you would do a good work in us in jesus name amen amen well please be seated you can open up your bibles to uh second corinthians chapter 4, and if you don't have a Bible, the ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now with copies of the Bible. And We want to make sure everyone has a chance to follow along today, and so if you don't have a Bible in your hand right now, just take that hand and put it up in the air, and uh, we'll be able to get one to you so that you can follow along. The series we're in is called uh, This Changes Everything, and uh, too often when we think about the Christian life, we just... When we think about Jesus dying for us and being buried and then rising again, we normally think of terms of, this changes one thing. And the one thing that this changes is, it changes where I go when I die. And listen, that's super important. Uh, There is a life after this life and there is a death after this death. And it's very, very important that you know where you're going. And all of us, apart from Jesus Christ, would all be going to a place called hell, separated from God. But Jesus changed that one thing. He changed where we go when we die. He made it possible for us not to go to hell, but to go to heaven. Not to have eternal death, but to have eternal life. And a a lot of what Christianity is about is about that one thing. Jesus changing that one thing. But what we so often lose sight of is because of that one thing... The gospel of Jesus Christ changes everything. And that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, and when you choose to follow him, you don't look at your life the same way, it it changes. You don't look at your job the same way, that changes. You don't look at your relationships the same way, that changes. Your money, your trials, your circumstances, everything changes. That's why this series is called, This Changes Everything. And today we're going to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, changes our heart. The very core of who we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. If someone gave you a Bible today, it's on page 627. It says this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God In the face of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he's quoting a statement that God made. It's a pretty well-known statement. Does anyone know when God said. Let light shine in the darkness. Is anyone familiar? Genesis chapter 1. It's actually the first thing ever recorded God speaking. He said let there be light. And so Paul is saying that. In the same way that God said, let light shine in the darkness, it says that he has shone in our hearts. That tells us something about our hearts. When God spoke in Genesis 1, what was there? Darkness. Emptiness. The earth was was void. And God spoke and there was light. So if that's how God spoke to creation, it says that God is speaking to our hearts and shining in our hearts. What does that tell us about our hearts? That apart from God speaking, our hearts are dark, our hearts are empty, our hearts are formless and void like the pre-created state in Genesis chapter 1. But God spoke and that changed everything. And God speaks into our hearts. And because he speaks to our heart, that changes our hearts. It says that he has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Listen, we might have known some things about God. We might have been able to state some facts about the Bible or about theology. But until God speaks to a person's heart, you don't know his glory. He has to shine through the darkness of our heart in order to reveal his glory. And this is how we did it. In the face of Jesus Christ, by giving his son, our hearts can be changed. What does does Paul mean when he talks about this heart? Let's get a a definition of a heart for you. Here's one, I'll put it for you on the screen. The the heart is the real you. I'm not going to sort of weigh you down with theological terms or psychological analysis. This is as simple as we can get it. Your heart, when the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about the real you. Who you truly are at the very core, the very essence of who you are. That is what the Bible describes as your heart. There's some biblical synonyms. There's some other words that are kind of used interchangeably with the heart in the Bible. The the inner man is another way of talking about um, the, tr- the real you, or the self, or uh, someone's spirit, or soul. And so all of these things are pointing towards, the Bible uses all of these words, and the heart is the most common one, to speak to who you truly are, the real you. And so, who are you? And and, and what makes up someone's heart, or someone's soul, or someone's self, or the inner man well it begins with our thoughts the bible talks about our hearts as as thinking and our 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 heart is is made up with with our mind genesis chapter 6 verse 5 talks about the thoughts of the heart deuteronomy 8 5 says know then in your heart your heart is is your mind it's what you believe it's your worldview it's your conscience it's your memory we say things like i know it by heart it's 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 reflecting that the heart is the place of knowledge especially especially biblically that the heart is the place where you are doing your thinking your reasoning your discerning uh, secondly your heart is uh, the emotions this is what we normally think of when we talk about hearts in our culture but in Hebrew culture and in and in the biblical writers' minds, that the, the heart was not merely emotions; it was just one aspect. And so we talk about having a broken heart. Uh, that, that's your desires, your longings, your feelings. Deuteronomy twenty eight forty seven talks about gladness of heart. First Samuel one eight. Why is your heart sad? So it's your mind, it's your emotions, and then thirdly, it's your will, it's your decisions and your actions and your choices. You put your heart into something because it's, you're, you're making a choice. You're, you're using willpower. Ecclesiastes 11.9, walk in the ways of your heart. Make some choices. 1 Corinthians four or five. the purposes of the heart. And so when God let his light shine in our hearts, he was shining on our thoughts that our thoughts of darkness. He was shining on our emotions, which were feelings of emptiness. And he was shining on our will, which was filled with sinful choices. That's what God is shining in. That's what is being described when it talks about our heart. Now we started off in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 and a normal sermon at Harvest Bible Chapel would be that this is, the, this is the passage of scripture that we're studying, whether it be one verse or one paragraph or one chapter and we just sort of stay in this one place and study it and you know when the sermon's over, when you sort of come to the end of the sentence or the end of the paragraph or the end of the chapter. Well, uh, today's message is not going to be a message like a normal message at Harvest. Today we're going to look at a number of different passages to in order to really grab the concept of god changing our heart we're going to have to turn to a number of different places in god's word and we're going to look at uh, three things that jesus does for us in order to change our hearts and then sort of a word of encouragement at the end of the sort of the results of having our heart changed so here's the first thing that jesus does for us he gives us a heart exam he gives us a heart exam And Jesus showed up on the scene about 2,000 years ago and spoke about people's hearts in a way that no one had spoke before. Because here's the thing about Jesus. He wasn't just a man. He was God in the flesh. And one of the things about God is that he is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows everything. He knows everything about every person. And so Jesus was able to come to give, a, to give a heart exam. He didn't need a psychiatric questionnaire. He didn't need some sort of scanner to, to look into us. He already knew us. He knew the real us. And he spoke. He gave an exam and then shared his results of what he saw in this exam. And he shared those results in Mark chapter 7. So turn in your Bibles. Let's hear the pages. A term. We're going to be going to a number of places. Mark chapter 7. If someone gave you a Bible uh, today, it's found on page 547. Mark chapter 7. Jesus gives a heart exam and his, his diagnosis is, is, is really not uplifting, uh, to, be, to be straightforward. He, uh, he has some things that are true that he says about the human heart and that are hard to hear. He begins in uh, chapter 7, verse 6. He's in a conversation with the Pharisees who were the religious leaders. So surely they're the ones who have their heart in the right place. He says, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus says that our hearts are far from God. That's why Jesus came. He came to come close to us because our heart is far from him. And he came to change our hearts so that we could be close to him again. He gives this this heart exam. He calls the Pharisees hypocrites. A, a hypocrite, the, the, the word there is a play actor. a Someone who is a, a professional who stands on stage and plays a character. And isn't that how we so often live our lives? Oh, we're at church right now. So we sort of Put on our, our costume and our mask and our makeup and we act like a church person. But then when we go to work, it's a whole different costume, a whole different approach and we act in a different way. And then when we're back home, or now we're over here with our friends and we're always changing how we act. We're, we're acting in this way and what we lose touch with is what is the real me? Who am I truly? What is going on in my heart? And Jesus was looking at these Pharisees and all this religious stuff that he was doing and he says, you guys are hypocrites. You guys are talking the talk. But in your heart, you don't really believe it. In your heart, you're not really true to what you're you're saying. And see, the trouble with hypocrisy and the trouble with just acting certain ways among certain people is that, listen, you can fool other people, and well, that's one thing. But if you get really good at fooling other people and getting people to think that you're this way and when you're really not that way, you can actually end up fooling yourself. That's why the heart exam is so important. The Pharisees didn't think they were messed up. The Pharisees thought they had it all together. Because they were so good at acting like they had it all together, doing the right things, going to the right places, saying the right stuff. But inwardly, they were rotting away. And so Jesus gives this exam to show them where they're really at. Then look at chapter 7 and verse 21. He says, For from within, out of the heart, underline that, out of the heart. This is what comes out of every heart. This is why God needed to shine into the darkness because this is what is in our heart. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And so Jesus here is is making two things very clear. One thing he's making clear is the futility of outward religious exercise. That's what the Pharisees were all about. Going through the motions, performing these different rituals. And Jesus was showing the futility of outward religious exercise. He was also sharing something very important. Not just the futility of religious exercise, but the inevitability of our responsibility. That we are responsible for our actions. No one makes you angry. You were angry because anger came out of your heart. Someone's wardrobe choices did not make you lust. The lust came from your heart. The advertisements on TV don't make you covet. Covetousness comes out of the heart. That's what Jesus clarifies. He says, don't blame other people for, being, for, for why you're messed up. Blame yourself. You need to take personal Responsibility. That's what he gives in this heart exam. And then Jesus promises something. He promises not just a heart exam, he promises a heart transplant. So keep your finger in Mark 7 and turn right in your Bible to John chapter 7, just a couple of books away. you'll, You'll go through Mark, you'll pass Luke, you'll find the Gospel of John. Find John chapter 7. Now, Jesus had just said that out of the heart comes all of these evil things. Then Jesus, preaching in the, during the Feast of Booths in the city of Jerusalem, and John chapter 7, verse 38, he says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Mark chapter 7, if you turn back there, it says, Out of the heart of man... Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, the, whole, the list goes on. Now in John 7, Jesus is saying, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. How can a place that is filled with filth and sin and darkness, how can that place possibly produce rivers of living water? You don't want to drink from a river if up the river if the source of the river is filth. What Jesus is saying here is he is offering a heart transplant. The heart has to change. Jesus came to change our heart. What is it that changes the heart? Look closely at John 7, 38. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart. The difference between Mark 7 and John 7 is believing. Your heart can be changed today. Your heart can move from being filled with sin and filth to being filled with life and purity simply by believing. It is a heart transplant. When we normally think about believing and and, and whoever believes, notice how Jesus says, whoever believes, we normally think about John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him Should not perish but have eternal life. That's thinking about this change is one thing. That the Christian life is just about eternal life in the future. But there's another whoever believes passage. John 7. Jesus did not just come to save your life. He came to change your life. He didn't just come to take you to heaven. He came to change your heart. The very core of who you are. That the, the same place that was a source of evil and lust and murder and slander. And just infinite wickedness can now be a source of living water, continual refreshment. Jesus says this happens out of our hearts, and the difference is believing. Listen, you are saved by believing, and you are changed by believing. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes your very heart. And what Jesus was talking about had been prophesied. Jesus was was fulfilling. He even said, as the scriptures have said, these were things that were predicted by the prophets hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. Let me show you what I mean. In Jeremiah 31, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. The heart is going to change. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. And a a parallel to this is Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit. There's going to be a transplant that's going to take place. I will, I will put it within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what is it about this heart transplant? What can we learn from these two passages? These passages that predicted and prophesied what Jesus was going to do for us. Here's the, here's the first thing. That it's God's work, not ours. God's job is to transplant the heart. Our job is to believe. You understand God's part? You understand our part? We don't change our own hearts. God is the one who has changed them. Who has changed them. It's God's work. Take a look here. Jeremiah 31 again. Look at all the I will statements. I will make. I will put. I will forgive. I will remember. Is there any you will? Is there any you will change your heart? You'll put the law within? No. We don't do anything but believe. God does it all in this amazing transplant. Ezekiel 36 again. I will sprinkle. I will cleanse. I will give. I will put. I will remove. I will put. It's all God's work. Now listen, there's some medical procedures that you can perform on yourself. Scrape your knee, get some polysporin and a band-aid, you're done. Listen, even even a medical doctor, even a nurse, they can perform some medical procedures on themselves. Heart transplant doesn't fit in that category. You're not performing that one on yourself. It requires outside expert intervention. Don't try that at home. The same way this heart transplant, this new heart that was promised and prophesied by Jeremiah and Ezekiel that Jesus said in John chapter 7, it is done by God. That's his job. Our job is to believe. Also notice the forgiveness that it promises. Je- going back to Jeremiah 31, it says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more and then Ezekiel the same way says you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you so in the heart transplant in the giving of the new heart there is a promise of forgiveness Jesus came so that we could be forgiven so that we could be cleansed from our sins past present and future but that's not it Again, so often we just think about the gospel of Jesus Christ and his his death and burial and resurrection that we only think about it in terms of okay, well now I'm forgiven. Listen, that's just the beginning. Because not only have we been forgiven but look what these verses say. Go back to Jeremiah 31. It says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And then Ezekiel 36, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jesus died on the cross because we broke the rules, and he rose again to make it possible for us to obey the rules because the rules are no longer just something written on stone tablets away from us, it's actually written on our hearts inside of us. He promises this amazing heart transplant, and he made it possible. Through his death, burial, and resurrection. And some of you are here and you think, okay, all of, this, all of this makes sense and I believe that this is true. I can't argue with it. Jesus said it. It's, it's prophesied by the, by the prophets. If I believe in Jesus Christ, that means that my heart is new. I'm no longer living in Mark chapter 7. I am living in John chapter 7. And some of you are saying, okay, I I understand that conceptually. I'm with you in the abstract. But if you look at how I lived last week, it was Mark 7, not John 7. If I follow the pattern of my life, if I try to give you an explanation for why I feel the way I do and why I make the choices that I make and why I think the thoughts that I think, it seems more like Mark 7 than John 7. But this is the the third thing that we need to understand. Jesus gives us a heart exam. And he promises a heart transplant. But we also need to be ready for the heart attack. The heart attack. We need to go into the Christian life with our eyes wide open. Your heart is new. But your heart is also at war. That's just the simple truth of it. Your heart is new. But that new heart is at war. And so there's a, there's a new sheriff in town. And all of the all of the criminals, all the people on the wanted list, they're, they're still out thinking that the old sheriff who let them get off with everything is still in charge. And they're still out there rebelling, rebelling, ding, ding. ding. But there's a new sheriff, and he is going to systematically, person by person, sin by sin, go after each and every rebel because he's the new boss, and that's the truth. But there is going to be a war. It is going to be, it is going to be a fight. It is the heart attack. So turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. If someone uh, gave you a Bible, it's found on page 612. The big big idea or the main thesis of the book of Romans is justification by faith. That you are saved not by doing things. You are saved by believing. But when we come to Romans chapter 6 we see a transition. It's not just that you are saved by believing, but also that you are changed by believing. And for six and a half chapters, the Apostle Paul has been just hitting this one thing, saved by faith. You're saved by believing. That's the only thing he's been saying. You're saved by faith, and here's what you need to believe in order to be saved by faith. That's what Romans 1 is about and Romans 2, and Romans 3, and Romans 4, Romans 5, and the beginning of Romans 6. That you're saved by faith, and this is the faith. You're saved by believing. This is what you need to believe in order to be saved. All Paul has been doing is explaining at this point. It's not until chapter 6, verse 11, where Paul gives. This is the first command in the book of Romans. He hasn't told them to do anything yet. And notice what he tells them. He doesn't say... Go love your neighbor. He doesn't say, go study the word more hard. He doesn't say, make sure you pray. This is the first command in the whole book of Romans. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Look, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey It's passions. The first command is really not even a command to do. It's a command to consider. To think about. To live with the mentality that you have been changed. Paul says, consider that you're dead to sin and alive to God. The Apostle Paul, he's, he's being led by the Spirit. Trying to help us apply everything he's taught in the whole book of Romans so far. And he's saying, what you need to do is you need to change the way you think about your life. Don't think about your life like you're still alive to sin. You need to think about your life as though you're dead to sin. There's a new sheriff in town. And then he goes on in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You used to have to obey the passions. When your sin sin was in your heart, when your heart was sinful and temptation came along, you just went along with it. Sin said jump, you said how high? But now you say, I don't jump anymore. Now you have a choice. You, you, sin used to reign in your mortal bodies because sin used to be in your heart, but now you have a new heart, but sin still wants to reign in your mortal body. Listen, sin may be in your life, it may be in your body, but sin is not in your heart. Christians do not have sinful hearts. They have new hearts. They have pure hearts. They have cleansed hearts. Amen. Amen, that's true. But there is this fight that's going on. Let me just sort of uh, give you an image that's been helpful to me. I've shown this before. But in the past, this is what we used to look like. Sin was in our heart. And because the heart is the real you, it's like the command center. It's the mothership. It, it's the mothership. It's, it's leading the rest of the body. Your mind and your emotions and your will, those choices that you make, were, that's governed how you live your life. And because of that, all of these different things. Now the Bible talks about these these desires in different ways. James chapter one verse fourteen. They're called desires. It's called the flesh in Romans seven eighteen. Uh, passions in James four one. What is earthly within us in Colossians three verse five. The law of sin in our members. Romans seven twenty three. These are different ways of talking about what happens to us after having a sinful heart. But our heart has changed. So look at this next slide. So our heart is changed. But the desires, the flesh, the passions, what is earthly within us, and the law of sin in our members is still present in our life and in our body. Thinking that it's still in charge. Accustomed to just giving in whenever temptation presents itself. But there is a new heart. And do you see what's missing? Those lines that used to come from our heart are broken down. You see, sin, we are dead to sin now. We have cut off the root that allowed the weed of sin to grow. The weed might still be there, but the root is dead. It's not going to grow any more. In, in warfare, what, what, what one army is always trying to do to another is to cut off Supplies. You try to blow up factories where weapons are being made. You try to destroy bridges so that, so that food and supplies can't be brought. Because if you can destroy an army's resources, then an army has nothing left to fight. And that's the, those are the most crucial moments in a war is when, a, when an enemy is cut off from its source, from its resources, from what it needs to fight. Listen, the most important battle in the war has already been won. Your sinful heart used to be the source for all of this evil in your life, but that's been cut off. You're dead to that. And yes, there's still some battles that are going on, but the enemy is always weakening, and the enemy is at a significant disadvantage because they have no source, and your heart is the source of living water. And so, this is the transplant, this is the transformation that Jesus has made possible for us. And so, listen. You may feel discouraged. You may feel like in your own life that, that well, I feel like I'm still, being, I'm still being run by sin. Isn't sin in my heart? Sin is not in your heart. Jeremiah 17.9 is, is a verse that I used to use to talk about myself. The heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I no longer use that verse to talk about myself. Sometimes it seems humble just to sort of flip through the Bible and find the most discouraging or incriminating verse in the Bible and say, hey, that's me. That's not true humility. True humility is just simply speaking the truth. And listen, I may not be perfect, but I know what God's word says about who I am. At my very core, I am changed. My heart has been transformed by the grace of God. There's still an attack, though. Some of us think about uh, sin or how we relate to it in three categories. There's the penalty of sin or the power of sin or the presence of sin. The penalty of sin has been paid for. This Again, this is when we make Christianity about this changes one thing. We talk about the penalty of sin. I don't have to go to hell. I've been given eternal life. Jesus died for me on the cross. The penalty of sin has been paid. But again, that's just the beginning. Jesus also destroyed the power of sin. We used to be slaves to sin. The rest of Romans 6, I wish we had hours to kind of bore over this. The rest of Romans 6 talks about how we're no longer enslaved to sin. Slave used to be our master, or sin used to be our master. But the power of sin has been broken. The only thing that is still around is the presence of sin. But that doesn't define who we are. Our heart, the true you, has been broken changed listen the christian is still capable of committing sin but the christian needs to understand where that sin came from it didn't come from your heart when you gave into that sin that wasn't the true you you were compromising and settling for something something else do you ever do you have someone at work who kind of browbeats you a little bit and kind of always forces their way Do you have someone in your family who just sort of dominates conversations and always makes the decisions? You always end up doing what they want to do? And you go along with things that you don't really want. But you just give in, right? Because it seems easier. That's how sin works. When you sin, it's not the real you. It's something welling up inside of you these passions these desires and it seems so strong and it just seems easier i'm just going to go along with it but it's not the real you and so we we need to again the apostle paul says consider yourself dead to sin and alive to god you're still responsible for your sin listen the sin the sin didn't come from your heart But that doesn't mean that you're not responsible. Some people would take this teaching so far and be like, well, you know, I I, I don't even really sin because the true me. No, no, no. There's a difference between identity and responsibility. When someone at work forces you to get on a project or someone in your family makes you go to a restaurant that you hate and you go along with it, it's not your identity. You didn't ultimately desire to work on that project or eat at that restaurant But you you went along with it. And you're responsible for that. In the same way, when you sin, you are responsible for that decision. But your identity is not tied up in being wicked and being wretched and having a sinful heart. Those are not accurate ways to talk about yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. Because your heart has been change. See, listen, we used to have no choice. Now we have a choice. We can tell sin. We can put sin in its place. We can tell temptation. I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to look at that. Before we didn't have the choice. Now we do. How, how do we relate to sin then? I was I was reading this book by Charles Leiter called Justification and Regeneration. It's a terrific book. And then when I thought about this weekend, it, it just seems so perfect. i got to share this illustration. Sin in a Christian's life is like snow in April. <laughs> snow in April is the worst. Like yesterday, what, what was that? It would be bright and sunny and then all of a sudden like a blizzard blows in and then bright and sunny again. Listen. Snow in April is the worst. Sin in a Christian is the worst, but it still happens sometimes. It doesn't mean that April's not April, and it doesn't mean that it's not really spring. The enemy will try to tell you that because it's snowing in April, that winter is actually coming back, but listen, that snow might fall, and it's real snow, and when a Christian sins, it's real sin. But that snow is not going to stay on the ground. It's not going to accumulate. You can put your shovel away because it's springtime. The Blue Jays are playing today. You can pull your shorts out of the Rubbermaid container from under your bed. Because summer is coming and no little flurries in April is ever going to change that. And we need to keep that in mind. Because it is not winter, it is spring, and summer is coming. And you need to believe as a Christian, consider yourself dead to sin. The season has changed. And summer is coming. There's nothing that's going to change that. And so don't let the snow of sin cause you to be frightened and frozen about where you stand in your relationship with God. He began a good work in you. He changed your heart and he will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so listen, your heart is is new but your heart is under attack and your heart has all of the resources to win the battle. You need to understand that and believe that. And here's lastly just four, four or five words of encouragement under the heading of don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Here are some things that are true of you because you have a new heart. Remember, the heart is the real you. The way that you truly think, the way that you truly feel, the way that you truly make choices. Here's the first one. I'm cleansed and forgiven. I'm cleansed and forgiven. The author of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah 31, which was that prophecy about Jesus and and the new heart. The author of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah 31 in Hebrews 8 and then in Hebrews 10. And then he summarizes, as a result, because of the new heart that we've been given, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, notice this, with our hearts sprinkled clean. You might feel dirty. You just need to confess that to God. And you need to recognize that Jesus Christ has cleansed you and forgiven you. You. you are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You are cleansed. You are forgiven. And so we need to understand and live like that. That's part of considering yourself dead to sin and alive to God. That you have been cleansed and forgiven. Next, I, I relate to God as Father. I relate to God as Father. It says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. This is another aspect of having a new heart. The Spirit is there. And the Spirit is welling up in your hearts, saying, Abba, Father. Jesus used to say that we honored God with our lips, but our heart was far from us, or far from Him. Now, we are told in the book of Galatians here that our heart now wants to cry out. That our lips, when we cry, a Father, we're actually relating to God as Father because our heart is fundamentally changed. We used to want to run from God. Hebrews 10 says that we now draw near. We used to relate to God as a judge or a spoil sport or a killjoy. And now we relate to God as a loving Father. Here's the third one. I want to obey God's law. I want to obey God's law. Some people would say, well, because I have a new heart, the law becomes irrelevant. I don't have to obey it. It doesn't apply to me. I'm a new covenant believer. No, the the part of the new covenant is that the law is brought into our hearts. And Jesus had fulfilled the law for us, but now we actually want to obey the law. Look at what Romans 6 says. But thanks be to God that you you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. The true you, the real you, when you're faced with temptation, who you really are, wants to obey. And you need to understand that. Satan wants us to think that who we really are is we really want to sin and rebel. That's not who you really are. We have become obedient from the heart. When when sin used to come, we used to be slaves to sin, it says, When sin used to say jump, we used to say how high. Now, listen, it's not just that we have a choice. That's really great. We have the choice to say no to temptation. That's terrific. But it goes deeper than that. Not only do we have the choice to say no, in your heart of hearts, you actually want to say no. Because you have an obedience that comes from your heart. Following on the, On the heels of that is Romans 7. It says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. You love to obey God. That's who you truly are. So I want to obey God's law. And very closely related to this is I can love God and others. The greatest commandment is to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we can't do that if our hearts are dark. But you need to understand that we can put this banner up here that says... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's actually possible for you, because you have been given a new heart. And we love because He first loved us. Do you ever notice that when Jesus talked about the law, He always made it harder? He'd make like lust into adultery. He'd make like making fun of someone into murder. He just—you got to love God with everything that you have, and love it. it. seemed like Jesus was always making the law. Jesus made the law more difficult, not not easier. But the reason why he's able to make it more difficult is because he's speaking to people who are going to have their hearts transformed. And a heart that is actually able to be able to love the way that he commands us to love. So, 1 Timothy 1.5, Pastor Chris preached an amazing sermon on this a couple of weeks ago. The aim of our charge is love. Love that issues from a pure heart. We don't make our hearts pure. God made our hearts pure. And because of that, we are able to love God and love other people, which is how we fulfill the law. First Peter chapter 1 is right in line with that. And then lastly, I will see God. Because I have a new heart, I will see God. Matthew 5 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Not just in the future. Listen, when you start to know and recognize that your heart has been made cleansed and transplanted and transformed, it's not just that you'll see God in the future because you've been forgiven. It's that you'll see God in your daily life, in your daily interactions with him because you love him and you long for him. And he'll show up in your life and you will see him. And then we end right where we began. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We see God most clearly when we see Jesus Christ, how he examines our hearts, how he has transplanted our hearts, how he gives us the resources to fight in our heart attack. And because of this, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. As again, some of you I know, as I have often responded to a message like this, is, okay, okay, I understand what you're saying. I see how what the Bible is describing, it must be true. And I'm not hiding any verses from you here. Sometimes in a topical message, you can sort of like, well, here's all the verses that defend what I'm saying. And I'm not going to mention all of these ones over here. Your heart is new. Your heart's been, been transplanted. But the real challenge is it doesn't line up with my experience. I still feel like I'm living in Jeremiah 17 and in Mark 7. But you need to understand this. Romans 6.11, consider yourself dead to sin. We have to start thinking this way. There are truths that are very, very important that we don't personally experience. Like right now, for instance, we're all moving At 1,800 kilometers per hour. Every single one of us are moving at that speed. 30 kilometers a second is the speed at which all of us are traveling. Are you experiencing that right now? Because we are. We're on planet Earth. And Earth is orbiting around the sun at 30 kilometers per second. We are hurtling through space right now. Is that an important truth that no one understands? It is, isn't it? Does it jive with your personal experience? No, it doesn't. Does refusal to accept that obvious scientific fact, does that limit your understanding of other things? It certainly does. Because once you start understanding That we're orbiting around the sun as Copernicus helped helped modern western civilization understand. It opened up a whole world into understanding the rest of the universe and our planet and all of these things. When you accept the one truth, even though it doesn't line up with your experience, it opened up a whole other world. In the same way, when you believe and follow Romans 6.11, obey that command to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God, it opens a whole world. In the Christian life, that you are limiting yourself because you think you're humble and saying, oh, no, I'm Mark 7, I'm Jeremiah 17. We need to to come to grips with the truth because it's the truth that sets us free. And we need to understand and believe what Jesus said, listen, about who we were, but now who we are in him. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have communicated these things to us. You don't want us to live in perpetual frustration or guilt or shame, God. You don't want us to be confused about our identity in you. You don't want us to accuse us of things or to use verses to apply to our lives that don't apply. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to consider ourselves, Lord, to think rightly. That we are dead to sin and alive to God, that you have shone, that you have shone your light into our darkened heart. And just like you said, let there be light, and that statement reverberated on and on and on, that you have said, let there be light and shone in our hearts, and that will continue forever, for all of eternity. So, God, we thank you and love you. Help us to consider those things. Help us to follow and obey what your word commands us as it relates to thinking about our heart and about our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.